1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here's your top five at five. AstraZeneca updating the finding of its vaccine trial after massive industry backlash. It is taking down some of the numbers, but the main numbers remain very, very strong. Still stuck, traffic piling up on both sides of the Suez Canal, putting the global supply chain more at risk. Tech under fire as Zuck, Dorsey, and others head back to the hill, this time to testify about disinformation, misinformation, and even straight-up lies that propagate on social media. Singling out SPACs, U.S. regulators reportedly honing in on the recent market frenzy and the rising risks to you. And could this be peak Bitcoin, one of the world's biggest money managers looking to start its own crypto ETF? Hey, no offense, Fidelity. It is Thursday, March 25th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Hope you're having a good Thursday, wherever you may be. And here's how your money and the global markets are setting up their Thursday. And it looks like it could be a fairly good one. Yeah, it's early. Futures could turn around. We say that all the time. Light volume, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But still, we are higher. Dow futures up by 81, NASDAQ by about 45. Now, the major average is coming off mostly lower sessions. The NASDAQ. Hit again in late-day trading, falling another 2%. That is two down days in a row of about that amount. Something to watch. Apple, Amazon, Tesla, the names you know, some of the major laggards. Still well up over a year, but just watch this recent move and see if that rotation from so-called tech or growth to value rolls on. All right, there is no big move in yields, which had been a mover. Ten-year yield, right around 1.62%. It has actually been ticking down the last couple of days, And oil, it is down a bit from its overnight high, still above 60 a barrel here. Traders, closely watching that situation in the Suez with fears over renewed demand slowdown. You've also got supply issues with the blockage of that ship. In fact, we're going to get more on where exactly that stands in just a couple of minutes. Here's a hint. It hasn't gone very far. All right, literally. All right, around the world, a mixed picture in Asia overnight. China fell, but look at Japan. The Nikkei up another 1%. It remains red hot. If you're not paying attention, and maybe you're not paying attention to the Nikkei 225, but you should. The Nikkei is up nearly 30% in just a year. Who'd have thunk it? The Nikkei, one of the hottest markets in all the world. Europe just getting its trading day started, and it is mostly lower. A lot of red, no big losses. Italy's up a little bit. Market's down a couple of tenths of 1%. Well, as always, we're going to get more on your money throughout the show, but right now we got a couple of doses of breaking news for you. First off, we'll start with this on the vaccine front. AstraZeneca is lowering the efficacy data on its U.S. vaccine candidate just a bit. This after facing a wave of accuracy surrounding its preliminary report that was released, released rather on Monday. The company now says the vaccine is 76% in protecting against asymptomatic cases, not 79%. Not a big move. But while that was lowered for symptomatic cases, the news otherwise is actually very quite good. The updated report maintains that the AstraZeneca vaccine is 100% effective against severe disease and hospitalizations. That's right, 100%. That's, That's all the percent. Complete protection against severe disease or hospitalization. Remember, any doctor or expert will tell you That's what matters. Not getting COVID and not knowing it, it is preventing you from getting very sick or worse. There's also this. The new findings suggest the vaccine is actually more effective than previously thought in patients over 65 years old, with a newly reported efficacy rate of 85% for that population, up from a previously stated 80%. So a revision, that slight lowering on the symptomatic numbers will probably get all the headlines again like it did before. That's not the news. The news, severe infection, illness, high-risk population, Market sending AstraZeneca stock up just a touch. As always, we'll get more with Meg Terrell coming up soon on this news. All right, now to more breaking news this morning. And that is the continued blockage of the Suez Canal, one of the world's most important shipping routes. The container ship ever given, what you see there, is still stuck more than 24 hours after first running aground and not a lot of progress in getting it unstuck and moving again. Now, traffic in the Suez, one that accounts for about 30% of the world's shipping container volume and about 12% of total global trade for both oil, gas and other goods, remains blocked in both directions. There are now, at last count, about 200 ships at anchor, waiting to enter the canal. There's a live map. All those little blinking dots are actually ships that are sitting there, stuck. Now, according to the Suez Canal Authority, low tides are slowing efforts to dislodge the 1,300-foot, 20,000 container ship, one of the biggest of its kind in the world, that ran aground sensibly due to high winds. Again, more on this story throughout the hour. But let's pivot. Big technology CEOs, Coming under fire again today in Washington, the heads of Facebook, Twitter and Alphabet will testify before a House subcommittee on misinformation and disinformation on their sites. It is the first time that Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey and Sundar Pichai are appearing since the Capitol Hill riot in January and since booting former President Trump from their respective platforms. Zuckerberg is expected to argue for limited reforms to Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. That is what they call the seven words that built the internet, effectively making these companies non-publishers. You can pretty much say what you want, whether it's true or not, and it's not their issue. He's calling for a tweaking of it rather than a full appeal. You might've seen some of the ads in their full court press and PR lately. Let's all talk more now about this with Cyrus Mayawala. He is head of thematic research at Global Data. Cyrus, it's good to chat with you again. Okay, there'll be some probably some tough questions, probably some some unusual questions from Congress, as there tend to be maybe some off topic questions. I'm just guessing. Do you expect there will be any change after all this is done? Will anything be altered on these platforms?
2: Well, I think we've had a number of hearings now on both sides of the Atlantic in Europe and the US. And so far, nothing really major has been done by, by, by the authorities. Uh, but, I, but I think each time the stakes get higher and the heat gets higher. And, you know, last time, you know, a few times earlier, Congress wasn't really ready and uh, the tech companies were able to just um, dazzle them with, with technology algorithms and such like that. I think this time could be different. And I think the key, there's two key questions that I hope this hearing will answer, and certainly most of America should expect it to answer. The first is, do we want the Internet to be regulated by a handful of technology companies with their algorithms, or do we want it to be properly, formally regulated by the government, an elected government? And the second is, are these social media platforms... Well, what's your answer to that, Cyrus? Cyrus, what do you believe is the correct answer to your own question? So I'm an analyst. I'd like to predict what's going to happen. I mean, my, my personal uh, prediction is that in time, uh, governments will will be forced to regulate the Internet because you can't have election mani- manipulation. You can't have a global pandemic where there's too many anti-vaxxers because you're not going to recover from, from that pandemic. You have to address these issues of misinformation and therefore government uh, regulation is inevitable. It's a question of of how they do it. And I think there's a number of ways um, they could do it. Um, the obvious solution is to break up big tech. You know, that's what government authorities always, always look at first when they see a, a big uh, company. But that's not necessarily uh, the right answer. That's an old world remedy to a new world problem. The real answer is to tackle how these companies um, control and manipulate data. And that can be tackled by a number of ways. You know, we could, uh, you could revoke Section 230, Section 230, as as you mentioned, uh, which would allow anyone to sue Facebook or Twitter or Google for yeah. any misinformation that they spread, for example. Which, they, which, they,
1: which uh, Cyrus, let me jump in here, because I was in law school, actually, when, when Section 230 was being at first debated. I remember the early debates, and it was always... Well, it's about free speech, and it's about free speech, and and we get it. It is about free speech in a lot of ways, but let's be clear. These platforms, not my opinion, it's widely available, and I'm sure you would agree, can be manipulated. To your point on vaccines, saw some data the other day, like five accounts accounted for 15% of all global vaccine mis or disinformation. You and I could pay a, a, a troll farm somewhere in the world, a couple grand, and probably get a topic trending on Twitter. That's not free speech. That's all done under anonymous accounts, some people managing hundreds of accounts each. There, There is an area to fix here,
2: I think, is there not? That might be good for the companies, by the way. Uh, I, I think there is I, I think the major problem is that social media platforms are not just places where we say hi to our friends they 're places where we get the news and large proportions of our population get the news from from facebook Twitter uh, and google and The problem here is a lack of accountability for the tech uh, platforms themselves because. They're not uh, liable for any liability if they publish misinformation. Um, there's a lack of oversight on the tech platform's algorithms. So, you know, nobody actually knows what those algorithms do. And then there's a lack of data governance rules. So consumers can't just, can't just leave Facebook. They can't take their data off uh, Facebook. So these are the three areas that I think regulators will uh, inevitably tackle one day. It's a question of, of how fast Congress wants to move.
1: Yeah, and we'll see if there's a lot of talk, a lot of tough talk, a lot of questions, and then not a lot of action after all this is done, although it's a new administration and some new people in charge. We will see Cyrus Mayawala. We'll get your take soon. Thank you very much for coming on, as always, buddy. See you soon. Thank you. Thanks. All right. You're welcome. When we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, because we are just getting started, why shares of Rite Aid are down 16%. No one's buying Theraplu for obvious reasons. Plus, much more on that AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine update. Insight from our own Meg Terrell and how to read the headlines on that change. And later on, taking on the shrimp scandal. Yes, there is Shrimpgate. The CEO of General Mills responding to, what else? A social media post about a shrimp or shrimps inside of a cereal box. Huh. We're back after this.
3: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
4: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.
1: All right, it's time now for your today, Big Money Movers. Are you ready? I think I am. We'll see. Stock number one is KB Home. First quarter profit beating forecast, but shares are down about 3%. Revenue coming in a little shy of some of the more bullish estimates as the housing market simply remains red hot. Stock number two, going in the opposite direction, Rite Aid. It is down over 16%. The drugstore chain cutting its guidance for the year. It says the bottom line was hit by a soft cold and flu season. That's an understatement. There effectively has been no flu season. A lot of people say, well, it's always because of distancing and masks. Actually, a lot of doctors and researchers are beginning to wonder there is zero flu season, not just in the United States, anywhere in the world. Look at the news yourself. It's truly dramatic, but it's hitting right at its bottom line. Stock number three is RH. That is the retailer of furniture and other items formerly known as Restoration Hardware reporting better than expected. Fourth quarter results. Company saying that demand has been picking up shortly. By the way, our CEO Gary Friedman will be on with Jim Cramer tonight on Mad Money, 6 p.m. Eastern hearing in some cases months long wait if you want new couches or whatever as everybody upgrades their homes. All right. Still on deck female empowerment and breaking barriers. How one financial technology CEO is looking to reshape an entire industry. All right, welcome back and good Thursday morning now to your daily vaccine rollout update. Maybe the most important story in America and the world right now, making steps toward trying to end the pandemic and the lockdowns. All right, the latest CNBC, CNBC, CDC, so many not, CNBC, CDC, whatever, CDC data. 85.4 million Americans have now had at least one shot. Most important news of all, 44% of those in the highest risk category, those over 65 years old, are now fully vaccinated. 70% of those with at least one dose, higher in many states. And despite concerns about variants and spring breakers, so far, the actual data, you know, the facts have been favorable. According to New York Times data, seven-day average case count down 7% and down a stunning 78% from the highs. Even Florida has seen a drop, including some of the most important states of all and stats of all, rather, a 14% drop in hospitalizations and a 51% drop in fatalities. You know... And don't focus on the it will take, you know, whatever number of months to get everybody vaccinated to return to normal. Remember, this is important. The CDC estimated a few months ago that 80 million Americans may have already been exposed to COVID and generated some or maybe natural immunity. That number may be now closer to 100 million. So when you combine those that are vaccinated with those that have already had and recovered from COVID, you know, that immunity concept that everybody talks about. Dr. Scott Gottlieb, for one, hopefully maybe getting closer by the day if it's not already there in some states. Again, not my opinion. Dr. Gottlieb, one of the heads of Brown University and many others, a reason at least for some optimism in still difficult times, everybody. Well, March is Women's History Month, and we are spotlighting some of our CNBC contributors and friends. Here is Pivotal advisor CEO Tiffany McGee with her advice for corporate America.
3: My advice to corporate America is to be purposeful in creating space for women to succeed. You have to make sure your culture is inclusive. This means ensuring that we are in the boardroom, in the C-suite, and at the cap table. Women are already working hard to succeed. It's time for corporations to understand that this is a two-way street.
1: All right, joining us now is somebody who embodies that spirit and more. Cassena Udina is the founder and CEO of Unest, a female-founded and led fintech working to give more people access to tax-free college savings accounts. She is also one of Investment News' 2020 40 Under 40. Cassena Udina, good morning. Thanks for joining us. You're making me feel old. And by the way, we talk about how female founders have to work harder to get where they are. I just want to point out, you are live in Los Angeles, are you not?
5: Yeah, that's right. It's 2 a.m. Live from L.A. Good morning.
1: Yeah, live from, I don't know if it's good morning or good evening for you. Either way, Cassena, <laughs> we appreciate it. Listen, uh, and by the way, you're embodying exactly what you're talking about, having to work and scrap just a little bit harder, sacrificing sleep. I've got kids. I have 529 plans. They are difficult to navigate. There are 50 or even I think more actually to choose from. Tell us about Unest and how you make this often confusing, a little weird college savings process a little bit easier.
5: Yeah, sure. Uh, so basically Unest uh, is a first mobile app that provides a very flexible tax advantaged way for parents to save for the for their kids, to save and invest uh, in a very seamless way. And we would like to be a holistic financial solution for parents uh, that starts at the moment when the child is born and lasts throughout all life stages, right? And we are very inclusive. We actually make solutions available for parents of all income levels and all economic backgrounds. What's interesting to- All right, so what uh, do you do to
1: to cut through the noise, Kisena? How do you make it easier? What can parents expect? What does it cost? And who are some of your partners?
5: Yeah, no, great, great question. So first of all, it only takes uh, five minutes to create the account, and everything is managed from the mobile app, right? There is no paperwork, there are no complexities. You don't have to pick and choose out of 50 uh, different states. Uh, we also offer a very like simple gifting feature, so your friends and family can actually contribute into your child's account with a shareable link. You don't actually have to download the app to gift, right? Uh, and another thing that we offer to parents is access to our brand partners. And every time uh, parents shop, they actually get financial rewards in the UNEST accounts. And th- those financial rewards can be anywhere from $5 to $100. And we currently partner with 60 different brands. And Brian, like another interesting point that you brought up, you mentioned uh, 529 plans. Right. So I would like to kind of tell you a little bit about uh, the company's story and the transition that we made during the pandemic that's actually relevant to this uh, 529 and the need for flexibility. So we actually started UNEST as a 529 solution. And what we realized during the pandemic that it wasn't the best solution for our families, especially when... Education shifted online. A lot of parents were concerned that uh-huh. the cost of education is not sustainable. And also like people started prioritizing, right? And reevaluating their priorities. And we started getting a lot of questions about, but what happens if my child doesn't go to school? Or what happens if they get scholarship or financial aid? So there was that huge demand for more flexibility. And what we yeah. decided to do as a company. We actually transitioned from 529s to a different type of investment, like a custodial solution for, for parents or for kids called UTMA.
1: Kisena Udina, the founder of the fintech company Unest, helping navigate the 529 plans. I was sort of looking behind you, too. You're in the office at whatever, 2.30 in the morning out there live in Los Angeles. Kisena working hard, rooting for the company Thanks very much for either getting up or staying up for us here on CNBC. We do appreciate it. Keep us informed of how it's going at UNEST. Take care. Thank you. I was looking to see if there was like anybody else in the office. All right, ahead. Speculation: Why the SEC reportedly taking a closer look at the going public craze. And pressure growing on media companies to ban widely followed anti-vaxxers. But will Congress do anything about all the myths? and disinformation or outright lies that are found on Twitter, Facebook, and others? Will it be a lot of noise and not a lot of action? We'll talk more about it. And a reminder, if you have not already, subscribe to our podcast. It's called, yep, Worldwide Exchange. It's on Apple. It's on Stitcher. It's on Spotify. Check it out. Leave a nice review. Dow futures up 72, and we're back after this. AstraZeneca changing its vaccine results. The headlines, though, may not be all they appear. We'll give you the real news and what matters to you. Stuck in the Suez, that massive container ship continuing to snarl traffic in one of the most heavily traveled waterways in the world. What's going to happen? All that stuff you're waiting on, what will happen to the price of oil? And a big-time shrimp scandal. The CEO of General Mills addressing the social media post that made all the headlines about shrimp inside of cereal it's shrimp game it's thursday march 25th and this is worldwide exchange right here on cnbc all right welcome or welcome back and good morning it's about 5:30 if you're counting here on the east coast thanks for joining us my name is brian Well, here's how your money and investments look right now as we're halfway through this 5 a.m. hour. We are seeing stock futures in the green. Not exactly getting back what we lost yesterday. Remember, kind of a late-day sell in technology. Something to watch, folks. Apple, Amazon, Tesla, the big names you know that have been driving the market. They've been getting hit, particularly in later hours of the markets the last couple of days. Something to watch. Either way, we are higher. This boring old return to value jeff kilberg will be along in a few minutes to talk about it names that you don't think are sexy but guess what maybe making money is and we'll talk more about that continued rotation in just a minute but now let's get some of this morning's other top corporate news headlines what may be moving the markets today for that we go to bertha coombs bertha good morning
6: Good morning, Brian. The SEC is reportedly opening an inquiry into the SPAC frenzy. Sources tell Reuters the securities regulator has sent letters to Wall Street banks asking for information on their blank check company dealings. And they're also looking for info on how underwriters are managing the risks involved. General Mills CEO speaking out, saying his company takes food safety very seriously. Comments coming after a customer's claims that he found shrimp tails in his cereal went viral. Here's Jeff Harmoning on Closing Bell yesterday.
1: We take food safety very seriously at General Mills. And based on the information we have right now, it is highly unlikely that this occurred at a General Mills facility. And so right now we're in the process of working with that consumer to try to figure out kind of what happened between it left our docks and uh, when he opened it. And so, you know, hopefully at a later date, we'll have more to share, but right now we're trying, just trying to figure out working with him to figure out, you know, what exactly happened and where.
6: And social media groups coming under pressure to put an end to vaccine misinformation. New research from the Center for Countering Digital Hate finds 12 people are responsible for about two-thirds of the anti-vaccine content. The group is calling on Facebook, Google, and Twitter to ban those dozen voices, which include Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Brian, back to you.
1: Wow, 12 dictating that type of dialogue. uh... Sounds interesting. Bertha Combs, we'll see in a few minutes. Thank you very much. All right, let's get back down to some of this morning's top breaking news on the vaccine front. AstraZeneca issuing an update for its phase three U.S. trial for the COVID-19 vaccine. This after facing criticism for using outdated data in its preliminary report released on Monday. The headlines will say the efficacy for symptomatic cases went down a few percent. But as always, there's a lot more to the story, so... Who else better to join us than Meg Terrell on the CBC Newsline? Meg, what can you tell us about these new results?
3: Well, Brian, we were really waiting for these. We knew they were going to come within 48 hours of this very bizarre situation that happened overnight, um, Monday night into Tuesday, after we saw those better than expected phase three results from this highly anticipated U.S. phase three trial, which showed 79 percent vaccine efficacy against symptomatic disease. So we get these new results, expecting maybe quite a big difference. And what we see is actually, not such a big difference. 76% vaccine efficacy is what we're seeing now, it's the top line number against symptomatic COVID-19. That's just three points lower than what we saw on Monday. Efficacy against severe disease, which many argue is the most important metric, didn't change at all, still 100%. Um, Now there are eight severe cases in the trial, strengthening that finding from five that they included on Monday. Efficacy in people over 65 actually went up five points to 85% from 80, and there were 49 more cases overall in the trial for them to get these efficacy numbers, 190 compared with 141 on Monday. Now, uh, the Monday information they used was based on an interim analysis with a cutoff of February 17th. That was more than a month ago, um, which is a longer time ago than one might expect when these mm-hmm. vaccine trials are moving so quickly. Uh, and so the fact that the data safety monitoring board felt that AstraZeneca used this outdated information uh, is a bit of a head scratcher, Brian, um, because the numbers really didn't change yeah. that
1: much. Well, okay, but dive into this because you know I've you said it. You know the people you talk to, the people I listen to on CNBC. You know what they say? It's 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 one thing to get COVID. Okay, you and I probably know. I know a ton of people that have had COVID, and thank goodness all of them are okay. What we don't want is to end up in the hospital or worse. It looks to me when somebody says this is a hundred percent effective against making sure you're not going to have a really bad case or die, to, especially if you're older. That seems like exceptionally positive news. Am I am I misreading this?
3: No, that's exceptionally positive news. Every expert we talk to says what's important is that vaccines prevent severe disease, hospitalization and death. Yeah, and I, all don't, all want so far, I don't, but, don't want to die. I don't want to die. Me neither, Brian. And so that's really important news. But The communications around this are just such a head-scratcher. They have a lot of experts wondering, was there something more going on behind the scenes? Because it was such an unusual turn of events. And we just don't have all the information about exactly what triggered the oversight board to do this. But the good news is, here in the United States, when a company files for FDA authorization, all of the data get made public, and the FDA's own analysis is published. And so within about a month or even less, We'll get to see that potentially.
1: Well, unfortunately, Meg, as you know better than I do, vaccines and and really this whole damn thing, to be perfectly blunt, has become politicized. I mean, right. But these are just numbers and, and the process may not have worked good. But overall, it sounds like on a vaccine that is, from what I understand, cheap to make, easy to store and easy to move. This could be good news for the world as we have an oversupply soon. Poor nations This could be a a game changer for them, could it not?
3: Yes, and and that's why this was seen as such an important vaccine and important news, because this is seen by many to be one of the key vaccines to to protect the world. They plan to make 3 billion doses if they can, and it's storable in the fridge. It's being sold at non-profit. Um, It's not so important for the United States because we do have three other vaccines. Um, But trust in this vaccine is important for getting the entire world out of this pandemic.
1: Meg Terrell with the breaking news on AstraZeneca. Shares are slightly higher as well. Meg, I'm sure we'll see you and hear you all day long right here on CNBC. Meg, take care. Thank you. you. All right, let's get back now to the markets. How's that for a pivot, right? And rising rates, of course, interest rates, 10-year yields, whatever, taking center stage on Wall Street lately. They go up. Technology, not always, but likely goes down. It hits high valuation names. But it could be very good for one beaten-up sector. And that, of course, the banks and financials, up more than 12% this year after a lost 2020 from any of these names. So where do we go from here? Well, we go right now to RBC Capital Markets, head of U.S. Bank Equity Strategy and large-cap bank analyst, Gerard Cassidy. Gerard, good to chat with you again. Uh, rates have kind of stabilized. I don't want to make too much of 1.6 or 1.7 or 1.5. The point is they're not 0. 0.5. Is And with bank deposits up, stimulus checks on the way Is it all systems go to owning bank equities?
0: Brian, thank you. And and the answer is yes to that question because the banks have positioned very well to capture the growth of this economy. You heard the Federal Reserve come out talking about 6% real growth this year. And as you just pointed out in your opening comments, the steepening of the yield curve is quite positive for the banks. And then lastly, you also are going to see the reserve releases. You might recall last year, The banks built up those loan loss reserves and the losses have never really materialized. So this year they're expected to release them and that will drive earnings, particularly in the first quarter when they release those numbers in April.
1: Does it benefit banks that are more deposit based? I mean, the really boring banks, Gerard, no offense to anybody that works at these banks, you know, that are just collecting. They're collecting deposits. They're making loans or does it benefit more of the, the Goldman Sachs of the world that, of course, have trading businesses and other more complicated things? It's a good question. In, and in banking,
0: boring is a compliment. So boring is beautiful. And I think what you're going to see is the traditional banks that take in the deposits are going to be the biggest beneficiaries because though Goldman and Morgan Stanley are going to have decent to strong first quarter investment banking results, The year-over-year comps are going to be difficult as we go through this year, as you know from the activity last year. But taking in the cheap deposits, that is the business that will benefit from the steepening of the curve. And eventually, the Fed may have to raise short-term rates if inflation becomes an issue next year. And that's even more beneficial to those banks as that net interest margin, which is essentially a gross profit margin,
1: will rise
0: in a rising rate environment.
1: Any banks that you like better than others, Gerard, right now? Brian, the ones that I think
0: will do best are what we call the so-called asset-sensitive banks. They benefit more so as rates go up. And sitting right at the top of that list is Bank America, one of the more asset-sensitive banks. And of course, as you know, in one of the biggest banks here in the United States, the dominant consumer lender as well as small business lender. And then on the regional front, you also have names like Fifth Third, Truist and PNC. All should do well in a stronger economy and higher interest rates. So the banks are positioned quite well. And though they are up, as you point out, the valuations are not too expensive relative to their recent highs back in 2017 and 18.
1: Bank of America getting a lot of love. I I believe that uh, Kramer and some others have talked about the stock extensively, just about how inexpensive it is, and Gerard Cassidy of RBC likes it as well. Gerard, we appreciate you coming on Worldwide Exchange. Thank you, buddy. Talk to you soon. You're welcome. Wow. Thank you, Brian. All right, coming up, we asked, you responded, what you, the viewers, are saying about vaccine passports and whether you view them as a ticket to a return to normal, the results of our survey coming up. And stuck in the Suez, still the latest on the developing situation in the Middle East and the potential impact on oil, and global supply lines. We are back with an update on that next. Time now for your morning RBI. And today's most random but interesting thing has to do with something that we talked about on the show all the way back, you know, yesterday. Vaccine passports. The idea that you might need to have some kind of document or maybe a digital record, whatever, to either get in somewhere or to get onto something like a plane or a cruise ship or maybe do something you want to do. Basically proof that you're safe and you're not a risk to anyone else. The idea is gaining traction. But there's also, of course, a lot of privacy concern. And why wouldn't there be? You can't force medical records to be exposed. They've got huge legal protections. And after all, it is your information. So we just wanted to ask you what you think about the idea of a vaccine passport. So we put up a poll with Four choices. Do you support the idea of a passport? One, yes, including everything like biometrics, eye scans, whatever. Two, yeah, but only with an actual card. No scans or eyes or whatever. No, too many privacy issues. Or four, eh, I'm not getting vaxxed anyway. Well, you've spoken. And it's kind of a complete mix, but about two-thirds of you are in the yes camp in some form or fashion. Yeah, all biometrics, 27%. Yeah, with a card only, so that's 50, carry the two. All right, that looks like 58%, right? Then you got another 35, says, nope, not down with it. Too many concerns about privacy. And only 6% of you say that you are not getting vaxxed, which I guess is good news because about polls have shown that about 30% of people have said that they will not or are not interested, likely, in getting vaccinated. So vaccine passports, you have spoken, random but interesting, and no doubt something You're going to hear a lot more about, trust us, in the next coming weeks and months to come. I'm looking at you, sports teams. All right, now to the continuing story out of the Suez and the ever-given container ship that is still sucked sideways, completely blocking the canal. As many as 200 ships may now be waiting to enter the Suez as the canal authority has suspended traffic both ways. Tugboats and bulldozers are working hard to dislodge the ship which apparently got stuck sideways after being blown by high winds. The ongoing shutdown could lead to supply chain disruptions around the world. There's a map. All those dots represent a ship. And look at the log jam in the northern part of Egypt. All those blue dots. And at the bottom, ships at anchor. For for more now, to talk more about this is Peter Sand, Chief Shipping Analyst at BIMCO, the world's largest international shipping association, whose membership accounts for two-thirds... Of the world's tonnage. Peter, so you know from which you speak, uh, this is a heck of a situation. Nobody thought it could happen. It did. How does it end? And how much of a disruption to oil and supply chain markets are we likely to see, if at all?
7: we're absolutely going to see disruptions across the board and the longer this is going to last the more disruptions we will see and we will see that not only in terms of uh, container shipping supply chains which of course take most headlines right now but uh, obviously also for uh, for grain shipments in bulk carriers and for uh, for petroleum products and in, uh, in oil product tankers uh, so this is a shipping choke point and and having that uh, clocked up uh, right now is only making i guess uh, a bad day worse for uh, for for importers of of key commodities around the globe.
1: We don't know how long it's going to last. Hopefully it could be resolved today, Peter. They're working hard. They've got the tugboats. We get it. 20,000 containers, one of the biggest ships of its kind. So ship owners and charters have two options right now. Sit and wait and hope it opens. Deal with a backlog and get through or say, forget it. Let's take a what? Three week to four week long trip around the point at the tip of Africa. What are they choosing to do?
7: Everyone is uh, making contingency plans as we speak, not only one, but two or three. Fortunately, uh, taking the round trip uh, south of Africa takes uh, somewhere between five to ten days, depending on the ship uh, type and and speed it, it travels with, of course. Uh, but uh, but obviously, I mean, as as uncertainty is uh, is thick at this point in time, and uh, the uh, the lines uh, just keep getting longer because. Uh, People are also expecting this to be cleared uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, we will uh, soon start to see rerouting uh, around the Cape of Good Hope uh, for, for, for key cargoes uh, that, uh, that otherwise uh, would be at uh, shortage uh, in, uh, in its uh, well, receiving area in, uh, in northern and southern Europe.
1: Yeah, five to ten. Uh, I was referring, of course, to the long lost sailing yachts of old when I said three to four weeks. I'm just going to dig myself out of that hole, much like they're trying to dig the ever given out. <laughs> It's not as long as I thought. I guess they've gotten more efficient, Peter. Do we have any idea uh, what happened here? Um, I understand these big box ships can be basically big sails. I mean, to that point, with a huge side wind, these things are they're squared off. They're not particularly aerodynamic. I will say this, and I'm not going to say it. The ship took a rather circuitous route prior to entering the canal. That's all I'm going to say about it. Is there any chance of any hacking or hijinks or anything? These are all computer-controlled.
7: I think the jury is still out on what exactly happened. Uh, I mean, we we, we know of... of, of plenty of suggestions here from uh, from uh, massive and uh, heavy wind gusts uh, blowing it uh, off course uh, to uh, to uh, an outright blackout of, of the ship and obviously if if uh, anything like that happens in a, in a tight canal something like this uh, could occur and, and we know it it happens every uh, every now and then i mean it's only been 2 years since uh, since the previous incident uh, incident and 2 years before that we also had a small incident but it was cleared fairly quickly but right now she's really stuck and those dredgers are dredgers are working very, very intensely to uh, to remove sand underneath her keel in order to, uh, to yeah. get this uh, gridlock off.
1: Are, are they quickly, uh, you know, and we don't. Yeah, a lot of ships go through there and don't have problems. And again, I'll, I'll leave my viewers to do their own research on uh, from what I refer to, Peter. Uh, are they going to have c- Can they unload the ship there? Can they lighten it if they had to? If they if they
7: have to, they can do so, but that would be the last resort, I would guess, simply because of the uh, the, yeah. the tricky part of that. So uh, so fingers crossed, uh, they will be able to refloat her uh, using uh, the techniques that they're already applying. It just takes
1: time. Got it, Peter Sand of Bimco here, no doubt getting a lot of attention. A very unusual situation in the Suez, Peter. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right, brain. on deck. Thank you. You're very welcome. All right. On deck, Jeff Kilberg will join us about why boring really is the new sexy. And we're not just talking about him. Dow futures up 84. Stick around. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. And good morning, wherever you may be. We are approaching Six o'clock on the East Coast, and here's a look at some of the big things to watch in your day ahead. At 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time today, you get the weekly jobless claims number. First-time claims expected to drop a bit from the previous week. Also, watch Bitcoin. Check this out. Fidelity unveiling plans to launch an ETF that tracks the price of the crypto. The ETF still needs SEC approval, however. And on Capitol Hill today, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, Google CEO Sundar Pichai, and Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey will testify before a house panel in a virtual hearing starts at noon Eastern time. The topic, misinformation, disinformation, and outright lies on some of these online platforms. All right, let's talk down markets. Dow futures up 81. Jeff Kilberg is the founder and CEO of KKM Financial and a CNBC contributor. And Jeff, welcome, my friend. I tried to give you a nice compliment as we headed into the break. Here's the reality. The technology names yesterday, again, late day, sell off this rotation, I mean, uh, is is 3M a better stock than Apple right now, just as an example?
8: Well, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that, Sully, but I know one of your favorite songs is Justin Timberlake's Bringing Sexy Back, but I want Justin Timberlake to think about Ugh. bringing boring back. And bringing boring back are these industrial names in this rotation trade. To your point, we did see it happen in September. When we saw that selling pressure in some of these NASDAQ names. And now all of a sudden, a name like 3M, Archer Daniels, Dow Chemicals, Waste Management. As boring as they are, they're all up nearly about 10% year to date. And these are the names that you're seeing rotation into. So as I'm a manager of the Essential 40 portfolio, we believe in essential names. These are names that we deem critical to the U.S. economy and the American way of life. And what's going to happen, slowly when we actually see some infrastructure spending going into some of these names? So we get really excited about these really boring names.
1: Okay, but I... I- I can't stop the feeling of whether or not oh, wow. Jeff, this is just a temp temporary rotation, because what makes these industrials attractive? It can't just be that interest rates are where they are. Is it a global reflation trade? It's not. A, I mean, is 3M or, or Caterpillar reopening stock? What makes them attractive?
8: Well, let's go back to Peter Lynch in the 1980s. This is Peter Lynch 2.0. These are stocks and companies that we believe the US economy are really going to gravitate towards. And you see investors, the sentiment has changed. We go back to 2019, 2020, and we're not walking away from technology, by no means, Sully. We still own Facebook, we still own the the FANG stocks, we own them in an equal-weighted manner. But the fact that we're seeing this rotation just in the initial couple innings, I think there's a lot of runway here, and you're going to see more and more assets get attracted to tangible names. When you see the volatility that we saw in 2020, yes, they've been desensitized, but nonetheless, they want to own stocks. They're going to be in their portfolio and be able to produce alpha. And some of these names have been forgotten about. No doubt about it. We saw some of these names get absolutely thrown out in 2020. That's where they're coming back in vogue. And just like those Doc Martens that used to rock in the 1990s, Doc Martens are back in vogue too, Sully.
1: (laughs) Is there a short, quickly, 20 seconds, short-term trade. On oil stocks, based on that situation in the Suez, a lot of crude oil is going to be stuck.
8: It is, and it's 15% of the global traffic we're seeing stuck. So IEZ, that's ETF, Schlumberger, Halliburton, uh, Baker Hughes, those make up about 50% of that ETF, IEZ. I like that exposure because we want to own oil exposure.
1: All right, all good stuff. Jeff Kilberg, KKM Financial, sometime wannabe DJ, available for parties. Jeff, we appreciate your time. Some good stocks and ETFs there to own. Have a good day, my friend. And that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We will see you on a Friday morning. Remember, our insider buying segment, it's back. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.
4: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery.